Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. I think at this point it's safe to say that uh, Vladimir Putin has not achieved what he intended to achieve when he invaded Ukraine, both in terms of what he's achieved on the ground or failed to achieve on the ground in Ukraine, and in terms of the international response, the way the international community has rallied with meaningful sanctions against Russia, and as we were just talking about, the way in which Putin has kind of inadvertently unified and strengthened the NATO alliance. But it's been a series of setbacks on the ground in Ukraine for Vladimir Putin. Now, perhaps to some extent, maybe we overestimated the strength of the Russian military, but perhaps we also underestimated the resolve in the bravery of Ukrainians. I think certainly the international community, led by the United States and other allies, has played an important role in ensuring that Ukrainians were equipped to take the fight to the Russians, but take the fight to the Russians they have. And Russia envisioned Kiev toppling in just days. That didn't happen. That hasn't happened. Uh, Kiev remains in, in Ukrainian hands. And now it appears Kharkiv does as well, the second largest Ukrainian city where Russian forces have been pushed back. Russia, though, has been scrambling to regain some of that territory around Kharkiv. There was a missile strike on the city this week. Uh, Of course, we do know that Mariupol uh, remains in Russian hands and just how utterly devastated uh, that city has been and the people there as a result of the uh, Russian offensive. Well, somebody who's been in Ukraine for weeks and has been telling some remarkable stories about the situation there is a journalist, photographer, digital content producer, Adam Zivo. AdamZivo.com is his website. He is in Kharkiv. Uh, so can tell us firsthand about what's been happening there. And from what I understand today, can also tell us firsthand about some of the dangers uh, that are still present in that city. AdamZivo.com is the website. Adam, great to have you with us here today. Welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Uh, obviously, well, look, you've had an interesting day. Uh, it's it's late, late into the evening on Saturday where you are. We can touch on that. But um, you're in, in Kharkiv, which is, I believe, Ukraine's second largest city. Russian forces have been pushed back from Kharkiv, which, uh, you know, certainly represents some progress. But there was a missile strike there a couple of days ago. What, what's the situation in that city, first of all? Well, the situation varies by neighborhood to neighborhood. So you have to keep in mind that this city was shelled up until about two, three weeks ago. Uh, when the Ukrainians began to push the Russians back. So up until that point, even if you were in the center of Kharkiv, you were basically in danger. People were living in metro stations to prevent themselves from being killed. No one was outside. Everyone was empty. Most of the streets were filled with military folk. Now that's changed because the Russians being pushed back. And so they can only shell the northern parts of the city and the suburbs there and some of the villages there. So the downtown core is beginning to go back to life. Uh, Metro stations are now being uh, restored and used for transportation again. The refugees that have stayed there are being evicted. Uh, Unfortunately, they are being offered hostels slash hotel rooms, which is great. Um, But you're essentially seeing a city which is very, very, very carefully reviving. But that's if you're in downtown Kharkiv. If you're in the northern parts, it's very different. And that's very dangerous depending on where you go. Well, speaking of danger, and I mean, you, you had a, a close call today and, you know, obviously we're, we're certainly glad you're OK. But I mean, it speaks to, you know, where there is still that that danger. I mean, what, what can you tell us and our audience about uh, what happened to you today? Well, I'm going to be really frank with you. I was almost murdered today and I'm going to say that I'm not a fan of that experience. I no. wouldn't ex- I wouldn't recommend it to anyone. 
so I joined a group called Mission Kharkiv. I've documented them before for the Ottawa Citizen, and they're a group that delivers medication to chronically ill people in the area, mostly cancer patients, diabetics, people with uh, high blood pressure. And so I was there, and I received uh, level four body armor as a gift from another contact this day. And they said, hey, we're going to deliver some medication to a village that was recently liberated and is by the front lines. And I said, sure, why not? You know, we had a military escort that gave me a helmet. And so we uh, we took a car there, two cars, one car filled with, you know, soldiers, one car filled with uh, humanitarian aid uh, workers. There was uh, an abuelita, you know, some Spanish NGO workers, older women, very endearing. And on our way there, uh, we stopped by a bridge. And the bridge had been blown up by the Ukrainians to prevent the Russians from advancing further. And we're taking photos of the bridge. And then we've been hearing uh, explosions throughout the day, like thunderstorms. And it's always in the distance. It's artillery. And then we hear an explosion. And it's very, very close. Uh, It sounds like it's coming from the trees next to me. And the soldiers are screaming, get in the car, get in the car, get in the car. And we get in the car. We drive away as fast as we can. And uh, based on what the soldiers say, because we are the only possible target in the area, the only inference is that the soldiers were uh, targeting us specifically, that they were trying to kill us. And they missed, which is great. You know, I would like to keep my limbs. I would like to keep my life. Yeah. And uh, then we're going afterwards, we're going through a village, and uh, we're slightly farther away, and we stopped by a humanitarian center. And that was where uh, a bunch of people from a nearby village had been evacuated to the previous week, and then it was bombed. And I was talking to my contact there, and he was telling me about how, you know, when it was bombed, only seven people died, but other people got injured. So apparently there were legs and arms strewn everywhere, which... You know, it's a horrible thing to hear. And then there was another explosion. And I looked and and like when when I say explosion, it's like it's an explosion you can feel in your bones. You can hear deep inside your head. It goes through you. And I looked in 200 meters away. There was a plume of smoke. And uh, and and we just suddenly we hid. We hid as much as we could behind trees um behind uh behind rubble and i was recording all of this because recording interviews so i have you know all the audio which is crazy you know you you hear yourself running away from an explosion and uh and then once again we booked it you know we uh we got into the car we drove away as fast as we could and then we got back to uh the soldier's office and then we had we had some shots we had some (laughs) drinks to celebrate life and friendship and now here i am uh, alive which is great uh, slightly stressed, uh, but very, very glad to be alive. Well, yeah, and, and obviously, yeah, I mean, certainly we're, we're glad to hear that. I mean, it, it obviously speaks to the dangers in, in you know, being there and, and telling these stories. And, and I mean, that's, you know, that you, I guess, you know, that's part of the risk involved in, in being there. And, and you've made a point of being there, wanting to tell these stories uh, and understand really what's going on there. Talk about that side of it from your perspective and why it's so important that, that you and others be there to chronicle what's happening. And, and, you know, even though there is some risk involved. There's been a lot of misinformation about this war. And that's a major 
uh, front, in a sense, right? This information warfare aspect to it. Uh, there have been people who have painted Ukrainians as being the villains in this case, as being Nazis or being hyper-nationalists, as uh, being evil people. And my entire time that I've been here, you know, I'm, I'm a gay guy who writes about LGBTQ issues. I'm sensitive to, you know, minority issues and minority rights. Yeah. And what I found in Ukraine is a country which has been remarkably open, uh, more so than I expected, uh, a country which is getting more and more European with every year. And it's something that I think is amazing. And what I want to do being here is to chronicle the actual experiences of people here and show the brutality of this war and to show what's at stake. Because what's at stake here is an Eastern European country which is embracing European values, which is embracing inclusiveness, which is looking forward towards an inclusive future, uh, which might be conquered and have its culture destroyed by, I mean, some tin pot despot. So I want people to understand that this is not some hypothetical situation. It's not a video game. It's not uh, just lines on a map. This is real people. And they're fighting for their lives. And they can die. And they need to be supported. And they need to be protected. That's the thing. And we can hear these stories about, you know, progress, setbacks. I mean, obviously, uh, the Battle of Kiev was a remarkable victory for Ukrainians. Pushing the, U the Russians uh, out of our Kiev is, has been a remarkable victory. But as you say, there, there's a human toll, there's a cost, there's an impact. And that's that side of that story that really needs to be highlighted, right? I mean, it's not just what Ukrainians are accomplishing, but the way in which they're doing so, the price they're paying for doing so. It's, it's quite a human story. Well, let, let me give you a story from today which illustrates the human impact. The woman who was driving me was like a 50-something-year-old 50, 50 mom. You know, she's, <laughs> uh, she's the kind of person where you would expect to be at a bake sale. Yeah. And she was driving us through a war-torn country through shelling and bombs because her sons live in Kharkiv, and they're working with Mission Kharkiv to pack medication for chronically ill people. She and her husband live in Geneva. They live in Switzerland. They're safe. But she chose to live in Kharkiv. She chose to stay in Kharkiv to support her sons uh, to make sure that they would be safe together with her. And together, they're fighting to keep people alive. Right? This is, this is not a question of numbers. You know, this is not a question of abstract figures. These are, this is a, a plethora, an uncountable number of real human stories with real human suffering. And if there's something that I want people to take away from my coverage is that these are people like the people you see around you. And they may be in a different part of the world, but that doesn't make their suffering any more, any less important. You know, we've been hearing some and seeing some some pretty awful images and stories uh, out of Mariupol and, and the devastation and destruction there. So, you know, that speaks to the challenges that lie ahead. This conflict is far from over. Um, but, I mean, do, do you get a sense of, of optimism at all, Adam, about where this is all going? What, what's your sense of where things are at? There's optimism. People think that they're going to win the war. The Ukrainians are, they feel fairly certain of that. It's a question of when. So... The areas just north of Kiev were liberated. Kharkiv is being liberated. The, the Russians are being pushed back to the borders around Kharkiv. But Mariupol is defeated and it's been subjugated now. And um, the south is continuing to be subjugated. Kherson is uh, basically being ethnically cleansed at this point. Um, 
And so there's this sense that, okay, there's a momentum, but it's not fast enough. And people in southern Ukraine are suffering. Um, and so there's an urgency to get back to normal life and to try to liberate Ukrainians in south and eastern Ukraine as fast as possible and to not concede this territory because to conceding to concede this territory would be to consign these people to uh, hell. Um, and so that's the general attitude, a sort of uh, an angry optimism. If you want to hear more, Subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.